In all my days as a storyteller, I've had the real pleasure and privilege to work with some of the great names uh, in the Scottish traveller traditions. Um, some wonderful storytellers, and absolutely hats off to them. But this is a traveller story for Scotland, and it's a bit of an epic. No, it was recorded by the School of Scottish Studies from a man uh, called Geordie Stewart. So this is his epic tale, The Green Man of Knowledge. Now there was once an old woman, and she lived on a wee farm, and she was a widow, and she reared pigs for a living. That's what she did. She would bred pigs, and she reared them up till they were aged to go to the market. She would drive them down to the village, and she would sell them down there. And that's how she made her living. Now, she didn't live on her own, because she had a son. The son was called Chak. But Chak did nothing but sit by the side of the fire. And he never did any work around the house, and he never helped with the pigs or with anything else. In fact, everybody thought that he was kind of slow and simple, and so they called him Chak the Fool, or Fool Chak. That's all he ever got. But he didn't care. He sat by the side of the fire, and he slept by the side of the fire at night, and he didn't care what folk called him. Now, Chak only had one friend in the world, really, other than his mother, of course. But his only friend was an old, hairy old Heeland Collie dog. And he loved this dog. And he passed his time by teaching the dog who to play cards. And so him and the dog would sit there playing a hand of cards, or a paw of cards in the dog's case, all evening long. Now they were always playing cards together. Now, one day... It was Chuck's 21st birthday. And he rose up out of the ashes by the side of the fire, and he stretched himself. And, oh, my God, he was a big lad. He was well over six foot tall. But the clay that he was wearing was far too small for him. The breeks rode up to over his knees, and the jacket he was on, well, the arms of them hardly came down to the elbows. That was no use for a big lad like him, but you see, he'd spent years just hunched up over the fire, playing cards with the dog. So he never got up and he never stretched. Now, he said to his mother, Right, mother, I'm off. I'm going out into the world and I'm going to seek my fortune. Don't be daft, fool Jack, she said. You cannot be doing that. Oh, I'm doing it all right. Now I'm off to seek my fortune. Now sit down by the fire, laddie, and have pace on you, she said. You can't go out into the world. Oh, I'm going to seek my fortune. No, no, you cannot do that. Sit down, laddie. You're going nowhere. It's a big, bad world out there, you know, Jack. There are people out there who aren't very nice. They're robbers and murderers. 
They might fall in Tawi, and then, well, I wouldn't like to think what might happen to you. And also, there's wild animals. No, no, he said, I'm going to seek me fortune. But the wild animals might get you, she said. They might eat you. Oh, it's no safe. You've never been past the gatepost of the farm in your life before. You'll get lost. No, no, not I, he says. I'm going to seek my fortune. Well, nothing that his mother could say to him would change his mind. He was going, and that was it. Now, the woman thought that, well, there's nothing she could do. She could see how determined he was. And she thought, I can't let this laddie of mine go out into the world dressed like that. I mean, you know, he was wearing what was basically Bairn's clothes, you know, and he was a big man. So she went to the old kist and she dug out her late husband's best Sunday suit. Now, he was a big lad as well. His son took after him. He was a big, tall, strong man. And so this suit fitted Chuck fine, so he could go out into the world without looking like a real ragamuffin, like a beggar. Well, he said, I'm off to seek my fortune, mother. And away he strode out the door, down the path and to the gate, and he opened the gate and went through it, and he closed the gate behind him, and he was in a different world. He had never been this far in his life before. Well, he set off down the road, just as happy as a lark, striding away down the road. He didn't know where to, but he knew that at the end of that road would lie his fortune. Now, he travelled on until he came to a crossroads, and he looked at the signs, and they were saying, you know, down to the next village, or a a village a wee bit further off, or up into the highlands. And there was a fourth sign, and it said, To the land of enchantment. Ah, thought Jack, that soon's more like it. That's the place for me. This is the road that I'll take. So off he went, down the road that led to the land of enchantment. Now he'd walked on and on for a good while, and oh, it was a bonny land. It was so beautiful, and there was something in the air, something that Jack had never experienced before, and he had no idea what it was. But there was a kind of something in the air, a kind of magic. Well, on he walked, and... He was very proud of this new suit that he was wearing, but then he realized he had made a very big mistake because he had forgot to ask for anything to eat. And he was hungry. And he was thirsty. But he carried on walking and walking and walking for mile after mile still. And eventually he saw by the side of the road there was a stone trough. A horse trough, for watering your horses at. And this stone trough was all covered with moss, but the water inside it looked crystal clear and beautiful. And Chuck thought to himself, Oh, thank the Lord for that. 
I might still be hungry, but I can fill me belly with water. At least I won't be thirsty. And I might not feel quite so hungry as well if I drink plenty of water. So he bent down to the trough and he started to suck up the water. And he drank and he drank and he drank like a beast. Well, as he was drinking away and the water was so cold and beautiful, it was lovely, lovely fresh water. He heard a wee voice saying, Hello, Jack. He looked around. He couldn't see anybody. So he bent down to drink again. Hello, Jack. Are you not speaking today? The voice said. He looked up and he looked around, but there was nobody there. The only thing that was there was a robin. A wee robin redbreast was sitting up by the side of that troch. And he looked at it. And the robin said, Well, Jack, aren't you speaking? Huh? But how come you're speaking? You're a robin. You're a bird. Birds can't speak. Well, I can, he said. But, but that's no possible. Oh, it's no possible, is it, Jack? Oh, I see. So that would be the reason why I'm sitting here talking to you. No, is it? Ah, because it's impossible. Yes, I see what you mean. Okay, he says, okay. There's no need to be a sarcastic Robin. But, I mean, I've never seen a talking bird before. Ah, but, Jack, you're in the land of enchantment now. All us birds can speak, and all the animals too, and anything else that takes a notion to talking can do it, if they want. Wow, said Jack, I've never... Never been in a place like this before. Ha <laughs> ha, no. No, you won't have been, Jack. But I'll tell you, this is the land of enchantment. This is where anything can happen. So how come you know my name? I'll have been waiting for you, Jack. Waiting for me? Uh, what do you mean, what? Well, we've been waiting for you, Jack, for twenty-one years. Twenty-one years you've been waiting. Aye, that's right, Jack. Well, that's an awful long time to wait. Mm-hmm. It is that, said the robin. Well, I'm here now, but I'll tell you what, Birdie. Oh, I'm starving. I haven't had a bite to eat for, well, all day. And I'm right hungry. You wouldn't know where I could maybe get a wee bite to eat somewhere. Oh, that's no problem at all, Jack, said the robin. You just follow me. And the wee of Robin spread his wings, and he flew down the road. But he flew pretty low down, and he didn't go too fast. He did a lot of circling around while Jack caught up with him, and then he would take him a wee bit further down the road. And Jack followed that Robin until the Robin came to a lovely wee cottage with a thatched roof. Here you are, said the Robin. Here you are, Jack. You just go in there, and they'll get you fixed up. Good luck, were you? And away flew the Roman. Well, Chuck knocked at the door, and an old woman's voice said, Come in, Chuck. He opened the door, and there was an old woman sitting in a rocking chair by the side of the fire. And, oh, she was an old woman, all right. A fair age of a woman, he thought. All white hair and wrinkles. And she smiled at him, the sweetest smile he'd ever seen. And she said, 
Go and get your supper, Chuck. It's on the table waiting for you. Oh, well, thank you, he said. So he went into another room, and there was a table, and it was all set for him to sit down and eat at. So he sat down. And there was a young lassie that came in. And, oh, she was bonny. She was a bonny lassie, and a lovely lassie. Very, very pleasant, very nice. She smiled at him, and she said, Well, Chuck, you'd be hungry. Oh, I am that. Well, here you go. And she dished him out a big bowl of porridge. Well, Chuck sat down to eat the porridge, and, oh, it was good. You see, Chuck had been brought up with porridge, same way that I was when I was a bairn. Porridge is made with water, and it has salt in it. But this porridge was made with cream. And she sweetened it with some honey as well. Chuck had never had honey before. Chuck had never had any food like this before in his life. God, it was good. But mind you, Chuck was so hungry that whatever he was given to eat would have seemed lovely to him. So he supped his porridge, and oh, it was grand. And then the lass brought to him a great big flagon full of home-brewed ale, and she also took in a plate of scones with some butter and jam, and he sat down and he ate scones, and he drank the ale, and oh, it was so lovely. Jack had never had ale before, and he'd never had scones before either, and oh, it was just so lovely. So he ate a whole mount of scones, a whole mountain of scones, went down his throat. Oh, God, it was good. And then at the end he sat back, and he had another flagon of ale, and he was sitting there drinking that. And when he downed the last of it, the last says to him, Now then, Chuck, would you like to have a lie down? Oh, I am weary, he says, I am tired. There's a bed ready for you, she said. You follow me. So she took him upstairs into a room, and there was a beautiful feather bed, just absolutely wonderful. He'd never seen a feather bed in his life before, and he couldn't believe that he was going to be sleeping on this. Well, he thanked the lassie. Away she went. He got undressed, and he climbed into bed, and he just sank into it. I mean... It was so comfortable and soft and warm, and oh, it was just wonderful. And in no time at all, he was sound asleep. Now, in the middle of the night, Chuck woke up, and to his surprise, he discovered that he wasn't lying in a lovely feather bed anymore. He was lying on an old sheepskin that was over three peats. But... That didn't bother Chuck. He is as kind of queer, he thought. This is a strange land. But he was used to sleeping on the hearth by the side of the fire, so he just went back to sleep again in no time at all. And in the morning when he woke up, he was refreshed and happy. And what's more, he was back in that beautiful, big, comfortable feather bed again, all squishy and soft and warm. Ah, this is a queer country, this, he said. This isn't like my mother's house at all. 
So he got up and dressed, and he went down the stairs, and there was the lassie again. Did you sleep well, Jack? I did that, he said. I slept lovely. Well, here's some breakfast for you, she said. Again, he was given a good old breakfast. More porridge, more scones, wee drop of ale. And he ate that, and oh, that was right good. Now then, said the girl, my grandmother, she's waiting for you. So go to her, and she'll give you a wee bit of advice. Listen to her mind. She's a wise woman, she knows a thing or two. So Chuck thanked the lassie, and he went through, and there was the old woman rocking away by the chair, and she said, Ah, Chuck, you'll have slept well, have you? Oh, like a log, he said. Good. Now, before you go, I'm going to give you a wee bit of advice. Now, you should always take advice, especially here in the land of enchantment. Anyone that offers you a bit of advice, you should pay heed to it, and you should always follow it as well. Mm-hmm. Now, my bit of advice for you is don't speak to anybody on the road unless they speak to you first. Okay? So, Chunk thanked her, and off he went, through the door and down the path and onto the road, and he's walking away, striding away, quite the thing, quite the cock of the walk. When he hears a voice behind him shouting, Chuck, Chuck, he turns round, and there's the lassie from the house, and she's running after him, and she says, Chuck, take this with you, and she gave him a bag. And he looked in the bag, and there was a whole pile of scones. Oh, thank you, he said. You'll be needing a wee bite to eat on the road, she said. There's a wee something in the bottom of there for you as well, you know. I think it might come in handy. Thank you so much for your kindness, he said. I will never forget it. The lassie smiled at him and turned around and walked back up the road to her grandmother's house. And Jack turned and he walked on. And he walked on and on, and at midday he opened the bag and he ate the scones, and oh, they were good. And he found more water to drink, and so he was doing okay. But then, you know, he was still getting a wee bit hungry, and he was raking about in the bottom of the bag to find a bit of crumbs. When his hand came across something, it was a piece of cloth, but there was something wrapped in it. So... Chuck took it out and unwrapped the cloth, and inside it there was a gold coin. <gasps> wow, he thought. He'd never seen so much money in his life before. Well, he thinks, that'll help. So he put it in his pocket, and away he goes. Now, after a while, he started to hear the sound of music in the distance, and he stopped and listened to it, and it was so beautiful. It was enchanted. It was just such wonderful. What could it be? And he carried on walking, and he listened to it, and he realized it was bells. It was a church bells. Well, the music that the bells made was so beautiful that Jack was just drawn towards it. Just drawn like by witchcraft. I mean, he couldn't help himself. It was enchanting. It was beautiful. So he followed the sound of the bells, and he came over to a wee 
rise, and he looked down in the hollow below him, and there was a village, a lovely wee village, and there was the church, with the bells ringing so beautifully and so sweetly, he'd never heard anything like it in his life before. So Chuck strode down into the village, and he looks around, checking the place out, and there's an inn. Ah, the very thing, he thinks. I've got money. I can spend the night there, and I can get myself some scones and home-brewed ale as well. So in he goes. The innkeeper smiles at him and says, Hello, Chuck. Sit down at the table over there. God, this is a queer country, he thinks. Everybody knows my name. So he goes and sits down. And the girl comes over and says, What would you like, Jack? Oh, I'd like a big plate of scones, he said, and some nice homebrew ale. No bother at all, Jack, she says. And within just a minute, she's back with a big plate, just mounded up, heaped up with scones, and a big flag and a ale. And he sits down and he eats his way through the scones, he drinks his way through the ale. Oh, it's lovely, wonderful stuff. And at the end of it, he's full. He orders himself another flag and a ale, and he's sitting there drinking away. And he's looking around, see what kind of a place this is that he's pitched up in. And there's a few folk standing here and there, you know, around the bar. Not many people, and they all seem to be fairly nice. And then in the corner, he saw three men. Or, should I say, three gentlemen. They were certainly gentlemen by the way that they were dressed. And they were sitting there, and what were they doing? They were playing cards, just like Chuck used to do at home with his old collie dog. Well, Chuck watches them for a while, and they're playing away and playing away, and Chuck thinks, I would like to have a hand with them too. So he gets up and he walks over to them. Now, two of the men are just normal gentlemen. But the third one, my God, he was a strange-looking man. He was a man of around fifty, and you could tell by the look in his face and the look in his eyes that he was a man who knew a thing or two. There was that flash of intelligence about him. There was more than just a flash of intelligence, though. There was a flash of cunning as well. And maybe... Just a touch of cruelty around the mouth. Well, Chuck looked at him. But the thing is, you know, it wasn't just what the man's face looked like. It was what he was wearing. His shoes were beautifully polished, gleaming, beautiful, bright green. Absolutely bright green leather, emerald green. He had emerald green stockings on, and emerald green breeches, and an emerald green shirt, and an emerald green waistcoat, and an emerald green jacket, an emerald green neckerchief about his neck, and on his hat there was an emerald green hat. The man was entirely dressed in green, Chuck had never seen the likes of this before in his life, and he kind of stood gaping at him in awe. The man looked up and he said, What do you want? 
I wonder if I could join you and have a game of cards. Can you play? said the man. Oh, I, I, I can play reasonably well enough, he says. I've had twenty-one years' practice. We only play for money, Jack. Do you have any money? There you go again, he thinks. He knows my name. I've got a wee bit of money, he said. He had change left over from that gold coin. He had quite a bit of change left over from it, actually. Aye, I have some money, he said. I could join you for a hand or two. We don't play cards with anybody who can't play, though, he says. We only play with people who know what they're doing. We don't like time wasters, Jack. Oh, I'll no be wasting your time, he said. No, no, I've... I can play. I've had twenty-one years' practice. Okay, very well. Deal em in, lads. So Chuck pulled up a chair, and he was dealt in. And they played around a cards, and Chuck won. Well, a hand was dealt again, and then this time, Chuck won. Third hand was dealt. More money was shoved into the middle of the table, and again Chuck won. And Chuck kept on winning, time and time and time again. He'd spent that long playing cards all his life that he knew every trick in the book, and he was good. Now one of the men said, Ah, this is getting too rich for me, blood. I'm off home. And he left. And the three of them carried on playing, and Chuck kept on winning. And the other man said, well, I'm had enough as well. I'm going to be going now. And off he went. And it just left Chuck with this strange man who was all dressed in green. Well, the two of them played all night, and Chuck kept on winning. And they played and they played until the small hours of the morning. Well, eventually, this man said, well, Chuck... They might call you Chuck the Fool, but you're cleverer than me when it comes to cards. I think I'm going to call that a day now. Well, he gets up to go, and Chuck's got this huge mound of money in front of him. There's silver and gold coins. I mean, it's a lot of money. He's a wealthy man now. But he's curious. He's curious about this man. Uh, tell me, he says, you you know my name, but, you know, you have me at a disadvantage, because I don't know your name. I, said the man, I am the green man of knowledge. The green man of knowledge, says Jack. Aye, that's me. Well, well, he says, and whereabouts do you live? Oh, Jack, he said, I live East, um, I live east of the moon and west of the stars. That's where I live, Chuck. East of the moon and west of the stars, says Chuck. That's a kind of a droll description, that. Ah, well, it matters little, he says. Anyway, goodbye to you, Chuck. And off he goes. Well, Chuck gathers up all this money. He goes over to where the innkeeper is still standing behind the bar. Most folk have gone now. And he said, can I get a room for the night? No problem at all, Chuck. We'll put you up in a fine room and we'll give you a good breakfast. So, Chuck 
appeased the man. And he says, I tell you, you couldn't do me a favour, could you? And what would that be, Jack? You couldn't look after all this money for me until I come back, could you? Well, yeah, I suppose I could, yeah, yeah. That would be grand. So off Jack trots up the stairs to his bed, and he sleeps there all night, and it's just grand. And in the morning he comes doon, and he gets a mighty breakfast. Well, he paid well for it, and the old innkeeper felt that he deserved a good meal to be going on with. So... Jack had kept a few of these gold coins and stuck them in his pocket for emergencies. I mean, he might need money on the road. He thanked the innkeeper, and just before he left, he said, That man that I was playing cards with last night. Aye, the green man of knowledge, that's what they call him. Whereabouts does he live? I want to find him. Ha <laughs> ha, I would leave him wheel alone if I was you, Jack. Don't you try following him. I mean, there's no use trying to follow him for a start. You'd never make it. But no, no, he is one that is best avoided. Why's that? Well, Jack, they say that he's an evil man. But he is so steeped in magic. He is a powerful sorcerer. His whole family are, but oh... He is a nasty streak in him, Jack. You avoid him. If you take any advice from me, man, don't you even think about trying to follow him. You don't want to see him again. You were lucky that you escaped last night with your life. Well, Jack was a wee bit nonplussed about that, but, you know, he had made his mind up. No, he was wanting to find this man. He interested him. He wasn't sure why, but there was something about him that interested him. Not just his outlandish dress or anything, but no, there was something there. It was kind of like two destinies entwined. Nah, he had to find them. So he thanked the innkeeper, and off he went. Now he's walking along the road, and he's walked, and he's walked for miles and miles and miles. The sun's been high in the sky. It's sinking again now. The evening is drawing on, and there's no sign of any more villages or any more inns. He was hoping he would have found another inn, and he could have got himself a bed for the night, same as he'd done the previous night. But there was no inns, no villages, no nothing. And eventually he saw a wee thatched cottage by the side of the road, very similar to the first one he saw. Now he went there and he knocked on the door, and an old woman's voice said, Come in, Jack. Jack thought, this is a queer country. Everybody seems to know who I am. And then he went, and there was an old woman rocking by the side of the fire in a rocking chair. And if the first old woman was old, this old woman was older still. Well, you'll be hungry, Chuck, she says. We've been expecting you. Your supper's ready. So, he says, I can pay you for it. Never you mind about that, lad, she said. We've been waiting for you. In you go. So he goes to the next room, and there is a table, and it's all laid out for him, just like the first one. And there is another young lassie, another granddaughter. 
And the first one was Bonnie. This one's even bonnier. And she smiled sweetly at Jack, and she says, Sit yourself down, Jack, and let me get you a plate of porridge. And he got that creamy porridge again with the honey over the top, and oh, it was so good. And then she came with a great big heaped plate of scones with jam and butter and a big flagon of ale. Oh, this is more like it, he thinks. Oh, this is the life. So he settles down, he eats his great mound of scones, he drinks his ale, he gets another one, he drinks that too. He's sitting talking away to the lassie, and she's just lovely, and she's chatting away to him, and the two of them are getting on like a hoose on fire. And then she says, well, you'll be needing a lie down, Jack. Aye, he said. I am fairly weary right enough. Well, you come with me, she says. So he follows her up the stairs, and she takes him to a lovely room, and there in it is another beautiful, big, soft, fluffy feather bed. He thanks the lassie, away she goes, he gets undressed, he climbs into the bed and he sinks down into it. And it's so warm and comfy, he thinks it's just like sitting underneath a hen, it's just what that must feel like. Well, it was wonderful, and soon he was fast asleep. But in the middle of the night he woke up, and he discovered that he was lying on an old sheepskin that was lying on top of three peats. And he thought, oh, this is a droll country, this. But he was used to sleeping by the fire. So he just cuddled up, went back to sleep again, and that was him, just out like a light until morning. And he got up, got dressed, and he trotted down the stairs. Again he woke up in a beautiful feather bed. He trotted down the stairs. There was the lassie. Ah, did you sleep well, Jack? Oh, I did, he said. I slept like a log. So she dished up a big plate of porridge, and he sat down and he ate that as well, and he thanked her very much, and she said, Right, my grandmother, she's been working all night making something for you. She's been making something for me. Yes. Didn't you see that she was knitting when you came in last night? Oh, yeah, I did. Ah, well, she's been up all night knitting for you. Oh, God, that's awful kind of her. And he was thinking, what's she been knitting for me? Maybe it's a trumper, you know, a jersey, or a gansey, or whatever you want to call them. Pullovers, I think they call them in some areas. Well, he's thinking maybe this is something like that, a wee trumper. So he goes through, and there is the old woman. And she's knitting away, and what she's knitting is a great big circular disc. It's a lovely thing. But he thinks, what use is going to be that for, for me? I'm just finished it, she says. I've just got a couple more wee stitches to put in here. And she's tap, 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 tap with the needles. She goes, I've just got a couple more. There we go, finished. She took it off the needles and she laid it down on the floor. And there it's just this lovely, lovely, big, stripy, great, big, flat circle of knitting. And he said, what's that for? What's that for, she says. Well, I know what you're wanting. 
You're wanting to go and see the green man of knowledge, aren't you? I am, he said. How on earth did you know that? Oh, it's a land of enchantment, Jack. Aren't you getting the picture yet? Oh, well, yes, I, I guess so, I. Well, chap, she said, you take that outside and set it down on the ground, and then sit on it, cross-legged, and then fold your arms and say, away with you, and it will carry you through the air to the next place that you have to go, where you can get help to find the green man of knowledge. But whatever you do, don't look back. If you look back, it's all over with you, Chuck. That'll be the finish of you. Don't look back. Keep looking forward. The journey'll be hard. It'll be difficult. But if you look behind you, it'll be the finish of you, Chuck. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. The only thing I ask for you, Chuck, is that you return it to me. Return it to you? Oh, yeah, sure, I'm sure I'll be passing this way again. No, 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 Chuck, you don't have to do that. Just pick it up and swing it three times around your head and say, home where, and it will go back home. Come back to me. Well, that's a wonderful thing, he said. Thank you very much. And he took it out and he set it on the ground and he sat on it, cross-legged, he folded his arms, and he said, away with you, and it shot up through the air, and it went so fast that the cold rain was on his face, but sometimes it felt so hot, felt like the pits of hell, and it was just uncomfortable, and then it would be freezing cold and wet again, and then it would be hot, and oh, it was torture, it was agony for him, but he never looked back. He always remembered, never ever looked back. And he remembered the first old woman, always listened to advice and take it. So he was a strong-willed young man, so no matter how much he was tempted to look behind him, he never did. And on he flew until he came down in front of another cottage. Well, in the background he could hear the ting, 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 or a blacksmith's hammer on an anvil. So he got up off this big circular mat, and he picked it up, and he waved it three times around his head, and he said, home with you, and whew, away it went. It flew straight back, back to the old woman's house. He knocked on the door of this one, and an old woman's voice said, come in, Jack. So, he went in, and there was an old, old, old woman sitting rocking in the rocking chair by the side of the fire. If the other two were old, this one was ancient. Well, ah, Chuck, she says, we've been expecting you. Your supper's ready. Go through and have a bite to eat. So he went through, and there was a table all set for him, and there was a beautiful young girl. Now, the other two were bonny. This girl was exceptionally beautiful, and she smiled the sweetest smile that Chuck had ever seen, and she said, Sit yourself down, Chuck. So Chuck sat down. You'll be hungry, she said, and she went and she ladled him out a big bowl of porridge, and she 
poured the honey over the top of it and set it in front of him. Well, he was getting used to this kind of treatment by now, and he soon did justice to that plate of porridge. He put it out of sight pretty damned quick. And then she came with a big plate of scones with butter and jam, and a big flagon of ale, and he sat there and he ate his way through the mound of scones, and he drank the ale, and then she filled them up again, and he drank it again. And the pair of them chatted, and they were just getting on like a house on fire. And then she said, Well, Chuck, are you want to lie down? Aye, I am, he said. I'm tired now, it's been a... That was a, a tough journey. Aye, I know it was, Chuck. Well, you come with me. And he followed her up the stairs, and she took him to her room, and there was a huge, big, soft, fluffy feather bed. And she wished him a good night, and off she went, and he got undressed, and he sank into that bed, and it was just like being under that hen again. It was so warm and just lovely and cosy, and oh... And the sweet dreams he had. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And in the middle of the night he woke up. And he discovered that he was on an old sheepskin again, lying on top of three peats. Ah, it's a strange country, this one, he said. But he rolled over and went back to sleep again. And in the morning he woke up in that great, big, soft, fluffy feather bed. He got up and dressed and down the stairs, and there was the lassie, and she dished him up more porridge, and he sat down and he supped, and he ate scones, and he drank ale, and then she said, My grandmother wants to speak to you. Goodbye, Chuck, and good luck. Thank you, he said. And he went through, and there was the old woman sitting rocking by the fire, and she said, Ah, Chuck, I know what it is you're after. You're wanting to go to see the green man of knowledge, and you're getting very, very close. My man's been working on something for you. He's been working on it all night, out in the blacksmith shop, out in the smiddy, by the side of the house here. Go there, and he will tell you what you must do. Good luck to you, Chuck. Thank you, and thank you for all your kindness, he said. And away he went, and he could hear that ting, 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 ting. Oh, a blacksmith's hammer on an anvil. And he went into the smithy. There was the blacksmith. And he had been working on a great, big, huge horseshoe. I mean, God help us if there was horses that that shoe would have fitted, you know. It was immense. And he says, ah, Chuck. So you're looking for the green man of knowledge. Yes, I am, he said. Ah, well, you're getting close now, and I have something here that'll help you. It's a horseshoe, he said. And if you sit on it, cross-legged, and you fold your arms and you say away with you, it will carry you across to the land where the green man of knowledge lives. But I want you to send it back to me. You swing it around your head three times and say home with you, and it'll come back to me. That's great. But I have to warn you, though, that that is not going to be enough to be of any use to you. Getting there is one thing. I can't take you any further than the banks of a river. There's a bridge that you have to cross to get over into the land where the green man of knowledge lives. His 
His great big castle is not far from there. But you know, you can't cross that bridge, because the green man of knowledge, well, he is a powerful sorcerer. He is steeped in magic. They say he's best pals with the devil himself, and I wouldn't wouldn't put it past him. He's not a nice man. He's an evil man, and you have to be very careful. And he has taken precautions to make sure that nobody, nobody can get into the land where he lives. So, if you were to set foot on that bridge, fine stone bridge, when you got halfway across, it would turn into a spider's web, and you would fall through it into the river below. Only you wouldn't fall into the river below. The river would turn into molten lava, and you would be burnt up and dead before you knew what was happening to you. No, you can't cross that bridge on foot. So how can I get across it? Can the river be swum? No, not possible. Anyway, it would just turn into lava and you'd be gone. So how do I get across? The green man of knowledge has got three daughters. And they are all very beautiful. But the youngest is the most beautiful of them all. She's the slenderest and most graceful of all the three. And she is also the most powerful. Most powerful? What do you mean? Jack, didn't somebody tell you that that family are all steeped in magic? Aye, I think somebody mentioned that right enough. Well, man, what do you think I mean? The youngest daughter has got the most power. Her father has powerful magic. His youngest daughter... Well, she is maybe almost, or maybe even is, the equal of him. She is something else. She is a powerful, powerful magician. Wow, he says. So what do I do? Well, this horseshoe will take you to the banks of the river, but you must cross it, yeah? Yeah, you said that, yeah? Good. Well, after you've sent it back to me, hide in the bushes. And around ten o'clock in the morning, the three daughters will come across the bridge. Now you'll see them coming. Now the youngest, the smallest, the most graceful and the slenderest of the three, you'll recognize her. She's, she's the one you've got to keep an eye on. They come across every morning around ten o'clock, to bathe in that river. Bathe in the river. It doesn't turn into molten lava. Oh, no, not for the daughters of the green man of knowledge. No. No, but they will come down to the same side of the river that you are on. And they will go down to the banks of the river and they will undress. And they will get into the water. And as soon as the water touches them, they will be transformed into three swans. Now, the eldest two will be black swans, but the youngest one will be a beautiful, pure snow-white swan, and it's her you want. You watch carefully where she lays her clothes, 
watch him like a hawk. And when she is swum away with her sisters, you go down and steal her clothes. Put them in a bag. Well, you steal the clothes, but you've got to be careful, Jack. You have to be very careful that you get every stitch of clothing. Every ribbon, every hairpin has to be picked up. If you leave anything, even the tiniest scrap, she will be able to fashion a new costume out of it with her magic. And then she'll come after you. And it'll be the finish of your chat. She'll pull you down. She'll finish you off. Well, I see, he said. But but then how does that get me across the, the bridge? Well, you make her carry you on her back across the bridge. But you say that she's very slender and all that and graceful. I mean, I'm a big lad, you know. I mean, I'm well over six feet. I know that, said the blacksmith. But don't be fooled. She might be slim, she might be slender, but uh, she's stronger than you give her credit for. Never underestimate a woman just because she's small and petite. Ah, it doesn't mean a thing. Oh, well, that's good advice, he said. Aye, it is good advice. And I hope everyone heeds that. Aye. Well, off you go, Chuck. And remember what I said. Do everything as I tell you, and things will work out okay for you. You've still got a lot of adventures in front of you, Jack, but you will make it. Thank you, he said. And he took this great big horseshoe, and he set it down on the ground, and he sat on it, cross-legged, and he folded his arms, and he said, away with you. And it shot up through the air, and oh, the pain, the freezing cold, and the wet, and then the burning heat like the pits of hell I mean oh it was terrible but Jack was brave and strong and he persevered he put up with it he endured all that pain and discomfort and he had been warned as well not to look back and he didn't he knew better than to break the advice from anyone that he gets in the land of enchantment so on they flew until eventually they landed by the side of a river. And then Chuck got up off the horseshoe, he swung it three times round his head, and he said, Home with you, and away it flew back to the blacksmith. Now he hid in the bushes and he waited. And eventually, coming tripping across the bridge, laughing and giggling and choking away among themselves, were the three daughters of the man, the green man of knowledge. And, oh, they were every bit as beautiful as the blacksmith had said they were. More so. But the youngest, she was so gorgeous, Chuck had never seen the likes of her before. The beauty of that one was just amazing. Took his breath away. And she was so slender and graceful. Ah, man, he thought. Now the elder sister slipped down to the river, and they undressed, laid their clothes into piles, and they slipped into the water. Jack smiled to himself. 
And then the youngest one, she undressed too, and she slipped into the water and turned into a swan. Well, Chuck smiled even harder that time. You see, he wasn't really used to being around women at all, just his mother. But as far as girls, he had had no experience, and all he could do was just say to himself, Man, that's fine. But he waited until the swans were out of sight, and then he stole down to the banks of the river, and he took the youngest girl's clothes, and he put them into the bag, and he searched among the grass, and he found a little ribbon here and a hairpin there, and he combed that whole area to make sure that there wasn't even just a, a shred, just a thread left from any of the clothes. He picked everything up, and then he went back to his hiding place. Now the two black swans swam up to the banks of the river, and they got out, and they became girls again. And they dressed, and then they went up the banks of the river and across the bridge. The youngest, the snow-white swan, swam up to the banks and got out, and there was no clothes. And she shouted out, Jack! Jack! Where are you? I'm here, said Jack, standing up from the bushes. Would you please give me my clothes back, Jack? No. No, I, I can't do that. Jack, please, Jack, give me back my clothes. Are you not a gentleman, Jack? Oh, no, no, I'm not a gentleman, he said. I'm just Jack the Fool. I'm no gentleman. So what is it you want of me, she said. Well, you know... I hardly like to ask, because it's a real cruel, hard thing that I want you to do. What's that, Jack? Well, I want you to carry me over the bridge. Carry you over the bridge? Y yeah, uh-huh. But you see how slender I am? You see how slender this back is? Aye, aye, I do, aye. Well... How can I pick you up and carry you over the bridge? Well, I'm sorry, he said. But that's the way it's got to be. Well, she said. Okay. I'll do it. On one condition. What's that? That you don't tell my father, the green man of knowledge. You must not tell him that I helped you over the bridge. If you tell him that I helped you, he'll kill you, Chuck, and he'll kill me too. Well, dinner you worry about that, he says. I, I, I won't tell a soul. I won't tell him a promise. You swear, Chuck. Aye, I swear. I swear I will not tell him. Okay, then. Hop up. Climb up on me back. So he climbed up on her back, and she grabbed him under the back of the legs and gave him a piggyback across that bridge. And when she got to the other side and she set him down, she said, Now, my clothes, please. Oh, aye, I'm, I'm sorry, lassie, he said. I, I, I kind of got distracted there for a minute. I'm, I'm, I can't think why. 
here you are. And he took the bag and he gave her her clothes back. And she ran off with it and said, Remember, Chuck, don't tell a soul. I a well nice. So, Chuck goes up to this huge, huge castle. And he knocks on the front door. And the door is opened by the green man of knowledge himself. And when he sees him standing there, he is flabbergasted. His mouth drops open. And he says, Chuck, how on earth did you get here? He's flabbergasted. He's, he just can't figure this one out at all. But here he is. We Chuck, the card shark, standing in front of him. Ach, I just thought I would pop by and see you. But how did you manage to get here? Same way that you did, he said. But how did you cross the river, he said. Ach, I flew. You flew? Aye, I just grew a pair of wings and flew across. I mean, I can do that. Hmm. Well, come in, Chuck. So he stood back, he opened the door, and Chuck trotted in. <clears throat> oh, it was a magnificent castle where the green man of knowledge lived. Oh, yeah. It was a lovely place. <coughs> Absolutely beautiful furniture everywhere. Well, Chuck, he said, let me shake you by the hand for making it all the way here. Man, there's not many folk in the world that could manage to do that. So he offered his hand to Chuck, and Chuck, being a polite young man, although he was no gentleman, put his hand out and shook the green man of knowledge by the hand. And the next thing that Chuck knew, the green man of knowledge had him up against a wall, and it was a wooden panelled wall in this room, and he shoved him through it. There was a trap door that swung open, and he landed into a wee room, more like a dungeon, really. <clears throat> and he tossed in a little note on a piece of paper. And he slammed the door. Well, Chuck was in this tiny room that was hardly big enough for a mouse, yet alone a great big lad like Chuck. And there was a, just a bare table. And on the table there was a piece of dried bread that was going all mouldy at one corner. Green Nile, we call it. Just that green mould that you get on bread. Well, there was that, and there was a wee chug of water. And there was this piece of paper lying on the floor that the green man had thrown in. So he picked it up, and he opened it up to read it. And it said, Eat, drink, and be merry. Ha! he said. God, he's even more sarcastic than the robin was. Eat, drink, and be merry. On that, a piece of dried, mouldy bread and some water. God, you wouldn't get very merry on that. So he sat down on the floor and he thought, Well, what am I going to do now? Here I am, the green man of knowledge prisoner. When he heard a wee voice, there was a voice in his ear. There was a voice he recognized because it was the most beautiful voice in the world. He'd thought that as soon as he'd first heard it. It was the green man of knowledge's youngest daughter. You've won me, Chuck, she said. 
Eh? What do you mean? You won me, Jack. You have my heart. I love you, Jack. As soon as I stepped onto that bridge with you on my back, a spell fell over me, and I love you, and I will love you until the day I die, and I will do anything to help you, because your life is my life now. We are intertwined. We cannot be separated. I love you. I love you so, so much. Well, Jack was just beside himself with joy. She was so beautiful, and oh, God, he could feel it in his heart, too. There was something there. There was a real, real bond between the two of them. A bond that you just could not put into words. But you can feel it instantly. But you can't express it in any way. Now then, Jack, she says, my father is going to test you. And he will try to give you tasks to perform that is not possible. But I'll help you. Now, are you hungry, Jack? Oh, I am hungry, he says, but God, it's not very nice around here, is it, eh? No much hospitality here. Stale, mouldy bread and, and water. I can do better than that, Jack, she said. And she produces a lovely, lovely meal standing in front of him on that table instead of the horrible old bread and water. There's all sorts of lovely things. Including scones and ale. Oh, he's a happy boy. He eats his fill and he drinks his fill and then he falls asleep. And Chuck can sleep anywhere because he's used to sleeping by the hearth at the side of the fire. Now when the morning came, the door opened and the green man of knowledge took him out. Then he said, what kind of a night did you have then, Chuck? Oh, just grand. How did you sleep? Oh, I slept like a log. He said, never better. Man, he said, you're easy to please, aren't you? <clears throat> well, I have a little task for you. But it depends. Maybe you don't want to do it. You see, that depends on this. Depends on what? Whether you want to show me whether you're a man or not, Jack. Do you want to show me that you're a man, Jack? Aye, he says. Aye, I want to show you I'm a man. Right then, he said. Well, I'll give you three tasks to perform then, so that you can show me what kind of a man you are. And they're easy tasks, they're simple tasks. God a bairn could do them. Oh, right, well, what's that then? Well, come over here, Jack. So he followed the green man of knowledge, and he pointed out the window. <clears throat> into the garden at the back, and he says, Can you see down there? There's an old dry well. Aye, I can see it. Well, my wife dropped her engagement ring down there twenty years ago, and I've never got it back. I want you to go down there and get it back for me. It's an easy task. God, anyone could do it. Then why don't you do it yourself? Because I want you to do it, Jack. Do you think he could do that? Well, I'll give it a try, he said. 
Would you like to see my wife? He said, she's no longer with us, sadly, but I have her likeness here. Look, I'll show you her painting. So he followed them into a room, and there was a painting of a beautiful woman. And he said, oh, mercy, he says, she's a fine-looking woman, right enough, a, a bonny woman. Oh, she was, she was, said the green man of knowledge. Yes, well, he hadn't noticed that the green man of knowledge had kind of gotten him up against the wall again. And before he knew, he was shoved, and a door opened, and he was in another chamber. God, what a place, he thinks. Chambers everywhere. It's like a, one of those Jesus full of holes. God's sake. Well, there again is a table with a piece of dried bread on it that's gone green with mould, and a wee chug of water, and again there's a wee note, and it says, Eat, drink, and be merry. Hmm. You wouldn't get very merry on that, thinks Jack. But again, there's a voice in his ear. She's not there in person, you understand. It's just a voice. And she says, Well, Jack, He's got you in here now, and he's given you a task to do. That well, he said, she said, that well in the garden, it's thirty-five feet deep. And he will have it so that it is full of mud, just wet, watery, sticky, horrible mud. And he will expect you to get down into the bottom of that well and find the ring. It's not possible, Jack. It's impossible. But I can make it possible. I'll help you, Jack. Will you, lassie, he said. It's awful good of you. I will have to go through quite a thing, she says, to be able to help you. Because I must turn my whole body into a ladder. It's got to be 35 foot long. So this ladder that I have to make from my body will be made from my bones. And you have to be very, very, very careful as you climb down that ladder. Because if you miss a step, it'll break one of my bones. And it could be my neck, Jack. That'll be the end of me. So you have to be very, very careful. Jack promised he would. Now don't you worry, she said. I'll clear out most of the well. There won't be too much of that mud to get through. And he'll think you're sinking down into the mud, but of course you'll be climbing down the ladder, but he won't see it. So you have to be careful. You find the ladder and then climb down. Okay, he said. I'll do that. But don't miss a step, she said, or broken bones for me. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that to you, lassie. I wouldn't want to hurt you. No, I care for you too much. I mean, you're too precious to me, lass. Well, are you hungry, Jack? Oh, I, I am getting hungry right enough. Well, she said, here's a wee feast for you. And again, there was a table full of lovely food, including scones and butter and jam. And ale, and he sits down, and he eats, and he drinks, and it's grand, and then he sleeps the night, and he can sleep anywhere, because he's been used with sleeping 
by the side of the fire. So, the next morning, the door opens. The green man of knowledge takes him out, and he said, Well, Jack, did you sleep well? Oh, never better, he said. And the food, was it all cafe? Oh, just grand, he said. Ah, just fine. Well, well, you really are a very easy man to please, Jack. Now, are you ready to go down and fetch my wife's ring? Aye, I'll give it a go. Well, come with me. So he went into the garden. <clears throat> and there is the well, and it's all covered with mud. Just wet, sticky mud. And he gets down on his knees, and he feels around the edge of the well until he feels the top of that ladder. He knows that it's the girl's shoulders he can feel. And then he puts his feet down through the mud, and he starts to very carefully go down the ladder, but very slowly, so that it looks like he really is sinking into the mud. And when he goes down just a short distance, there's no more mud. She's cleaned out the whole lot. And there he goes down and down the ladder till he's just at the bottom. But when he reaches the last step, his foot misses. And he misses a step. And he thinks, oh, God, I've broken one of her bones. Oh, God, I hope I've not broken her neck. Oh, the poor wee thing. Oh, that's terrible. Well, there, gleaming in front of him, is the ring. So he picks it up, and he very carefully climbs back up the ladder, making sure he gets every step this time. Well, he rises up through the mud again, and there's the green man of knowledge, and he lifts the ring up, and he said, Here's the engagement ring. Well, well. You really are a clever boy, aren't you? said the green man of knowledge. Let me see that ring. No, he said, that wasn't the deal. I'm going to keep this. Keep it if you may, he said. But tell me, how did you manage to do that? You had help, didn't you, Chuck? No, no I didn't. You had help over that bridge, and you had help doing this. Who's helping you, Chuck? Nobody's helping me. Not a soul. It's just me. Well, you're quite the man, Chuck. Well, come in and get washed up, he said. You're, you're filthy. So they went in, and he got himself all washed up, so he was all brisk and fine and clothes was cleaned by the servants there and he had a nice hot bath and he's gone up and he's got dressed again and everything's just hunky-dory and then the green man of knowledge says well Chuck, come on and i'll i'll give you a wee bite to eat oh lovely says Chuck. so he joins him at a table and there is actually a lovely banquet laid out in front of him and he thinks wonderful so he sits down in the chair, and the green man of knowledge says, I hope you enjoy your meal, Chuck. And with that, the chair tips backwards. Another trapdoor opens, and bump, he lands into another wee dungeon. 
with a wee table there with a piece of hard stale green mouldy bread and a chug of water and a wee scrap of paper under it saying eat drink and be merry oh god he says here we are again well there's a voice comes in his ear and said jack oh it's yourself lassie he said god i was so worried about you because i missed that last step aye jack you did but luckily it was only my wee pinky, my little finger, that you broke. I wore a pair of gloves for dinner tonight so my dad wouldn't notice it. I wore one of those, you know, elbow-length gloves. And my dad never thought about it, never mentioned it. Because if he'd seen it, he would have known. And he would have killed me and he would have killed you as well, Jack. So you have to be more careful in future. God, that could have been my neck, Jack. I know, I know. He said, I'm so, so sorry. Never mind. Now, he's going to have another job for you tomorrow, Jack. But again, I'll help you. Right? Okay. You hungry, Jack? Well, I am getting a wee bit peckish. Well, eat as much as you want. And I'll help you tomorrow, don't worry. So, the next, then he eats and he drinks and he's fine. And the next day the door opens and the green man of knowledge takes him out. And he said, well, Chuck, did he sleep well? Oh, aye, never better. Slept like a log. Well, well, and uh, food okay, is it? Oh, just grand, he says, yeah. Yes, you really are a easy man to please, aren't you, Chuck? Well, I've got another little job for you. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit harder than yesterday's, but still, it's well within your your power to do it, Chuck. You know. Well, okay. Right. Follow me, Chuck. So he followed him, and they walked out towards a wood. It was a great big woods. I mean, it was huge. And the green man of knowledge says, Jack, this is my woods here. I'm very fond of these woods. I like to go hunting here sometimes. But you know the one thing that really bothers me in this wood? What's that? What's that then, sir? Said Jack. Ants. 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 What about the ants? Can't stand the things. Hate them. Can I be doing with them? Ants. Aye, ants. What's wrong with that? Nothing, I suppose, says Chuck. But what do you want me to do about it? I want you to get rid of them, Chuck. I want you to get rid of every ant in this woods. I'll give you two hours to do it, and don't let it be said that I'm mean. I'll give you two hours to get rid of every single ant in this wood. There, there are a few million of them. But, ah, sure, you're Chuck. I'm sure you can do it. So, Chuck goes off into the woods, and there he sees beautiful youngest daughter of the man of green knowledge and she smiles at him and she says 
Don't worry, Jack. It's done. What? It's done. What's done? The ant clearings. I've, I've got rid of them. You've got rid of all the ants? Yeah? All the millions of ants? Yeah? Yep, there's not an ant in the woods. Well, that's amazing. Ah, I've just moved them a bit down the road. I dare say they'll be back in a day or two, you know. But at the moment, he'll have a look. He'll find no ants. Well, Jack sits down and he talks to this lovely girl that he adores. And then, when the time comes, she slips away into the woods and he comes back out. Onto the edge of the woods and here's the green man of knowledge, all dressed in green, of course, with his green hat green feather in it and he's striding up the hillside towards him and he says well Chuck, did you get rid of those ants I did you did yep no ants not one sir but there's millions of them Chuck. yep there was indeed he got rid of all of them yep every single one all that millions of ants yep aye there was seven million and three hundred and seventy nine thousand the 328 ants, to be exact, sir. Christ, that's very... That's very good. That's uh, very well observed as well. So, I'm going to go and check. Ah, you do that. You won't find an ant. So the green man of knowledge goes, and he knows where all the ant hills are, and there's not one. Not one ant. He's through that woods... Not an ant. He's back out and he goes, that's incredible. That's amazing. So tell me, Jack, who helped you? Nobody helped me. There's somebody helping you, Jack. I know there's somebody helping you. No, there's nobody helping me at all. I'm sure who would be helping me. I don't know, but I'm sure somebody is. And if I find out who it is... I will not be very happy. You get my meaning, Jack? Aye, I get your meaning all right. Aye, I'm sure you do. Right, anyway, let's go down to the uh, castle and we'll we'll have a wee bite to eat. Ugh, I'm not sure if I want a wee bite to eat. Um, I know what your meals are like. Oh, Jack, come on, it's just a bit of fun. Come on, back then with me. So off they go, down to the castle. And they get inside. And sure enough, as soon as he's walking in, he says to him, Jack, do you like books, Jack? Ah, well, to be quite honest, sir, he says, I've not really had an awful lot of time with books. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no a big reader, sir. Ah, that's a shame, Jack. You should see my library. God, it's just amazing it's just yeah it's my pride and joy my library oh really <clears throat> you'd like to see it well i suppose i could so he went in there and there is a room that is full of books oh my god it's just amazing it's floor to ceiling books as far as the eye can see it's something something that would make uh, well us book lovers among us just thrilled and Chuck, he's pretty impressed, you know. And he says, ah, oh, Chuck, 
I must show you my favourite book. Come here. So Chuck goes over and he pulls a book out the shelf and the shelf swings around and it takes Chuck with him and he's in a wee dungeon again with us. Wee table with a bit of dried bread and with mould on it and wee chug of water. And he thinks, you know, I should be getting wise to this trick by now. So, he sits there anyway. And he's there for a while until there's a wee voice in his ear. Hello, Chuck. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm fine, darling, he says. I'm fine. I'm doing all right. Well, that was fine. We got rid of the ants today. <laughs> I can tell you my dad won't be very happy because I know that they're streaming up the road now to go back. They're going home. They've had enough. They've, they've been out for a picnic, so they're off. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, <clears throat> but I'll tell you... <clears throat> My father, he's deeply suspicious now. He was asking me and my sister some really pointed questions over dinner. He suspects that one of us is helping you. But, tell you what, tomorrow will be the third task, and, and it will be the hardest. But don't fear. Have no worry. I will do it for you. I will sort everything out. You're an absolute treasure, darling, he said. <laughs> yeah, I am, aren't I, she said. Well, tell you what. You hungry, Jack? Oh, I'm ravenous. Well, you just tuck in and have a good feed. And there was all the food back in front of him again, including the scones and butter and jam and the ale. And he's sitting there and he's eating away and he's drinking. And, oh, he's a happy lad. And then he sleeps soundly all night and in the morning... Door opens, and the green man of knowledge takes him out again, and he said, Did you have a good night then, Chuck? Aye, I did. You slept well. I slept like a log, he said. Never better. And the food and all is to your liking? Oh, it's just grand, he said. Yep, absolutely fine. Is anybody helping you, Chuck? No, of course not. I'm just a hard laddie, you know. I'm used to hard knocks. I'm used to sleeping on a floor. So I see, says the green man in orange. Well, come with me. I've got a wee job for you to do. So he takes him up onto the side of a hill that is just above his castle. There's just a wee bray there that rises up. And then there's a flat top to it. And there's a wonderful view down onto the castle, but also across as well, over the over the woods and and looks over the river as well. It's a gorgeous position. Right then, he said. Chuck, I've got a wee job for you to do. And you know, it's not much of a task. God, I swear, even a bairn could do it. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure that It'll be nothing for the likes of the Grand Chack. Mm, Chack who can fly across rivers and get, get a engagement rings out of wells and drive ants out of the woods. Oh, God, it'll be nothing for the likes of you, Chack. Now, all I want you to do is just build me a castle. I want you to build me a castle out of nothing. And I want it to be bigger than my own castle, and I want it to be beautiful, and I want it to be absolutely filled with 
beautiful things. I want it fully furnished. I want rugs on the floor. I want tapestries on the walls. I want gold and silver. I want everything. And I want it done in an hour. You've got 60 minutes, Jack. 60 minutes to, to do all of that, he said. Aye. Oh, well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sure I could. No. The previous night, the, the princess had said that he would have a, a big task to do, but she would help him, she would do it for him. So he wasn't worried. But he was also, you know, he was a smart cookie. And, you know, despite everybody calling him a fool, he wasn't really, he was actually quite a smart guy. And he said to the green man of knowledge, Well, I'll tell you what, sir, he said. I can't be doing it while you're standing here watching me. Why's that, Jack? Trade secrets, he says. Oh, I can't be letting everybody know what I do. No, 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 no. No, you've, you've got to get back to your castle. Go on, scoot off. Ah, well, fair enough, Jack, he said. I will. So off he goes with a, a wicked and malicious smile on his face. So, wait a minute, says Jack. If I build you this castle, yes, what do I get in return? What do you get? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a whole pile of gold, and I'll give you one of my daughters, hand in marriage as well. You've seen them, they're beautiful, aren't they, Chuck? Oh, aye, says I, they're bonny lasses. You have your choice of them, I might even give you my old castle as well. Well, that sounds like a good deal. Okay, I'll I'll do it. Off you go. So he trots off down the slope. And Chuck, well, he just sits down on his bum. And he waits for the lassie to come and help him. And she doesn't come. And he waits a bit longer. And she's still not there. And ten minutes passes. And she's not there. And twenty minutes passes and she's not there. Half an hour passes... And there's no sign of her. And he thinks, if this dame doesn't turn up soon, then I'm in the soup. He's going to do me in. And he thought, half an hour? God, it's impossible to do it in an hour. But not in half an hour. I mean, seriously, I'm going to have to get out of here. I'm going to have to run away as fast as I can. So he jumped up onto his feet. He spun around. He ran smack straight into the wall. Of a castle. Well, you see, he'd been sitting with his back to it. He hadn't seen that the youngest daughter had already built the most beautiful, huge castle that he'd ever seen in his life. It was sumptuous. And he's looking in it, and inside he can see that the whole place is furnished as well. And there she is, standing inside, and she says, Well, Chuck, what do you think? Will this do? You're a miracle worker, he said. This is just amazing. This is just wonderful. It's beautiful. How on earth could you do that in half an hour? Oh, well, Chuck, she says, you know, I don't like to boast, you know, but I know a thing or two. I can see that. Well... They went and they looked around and, oh, the rooms were just more beautiful than the last one. You know, it was just incredible. 
and then he went to it and he looked up at the castle walls and he started walking around and around the castle admiring it and he came to a hole in the wall and he said ah he thought to himself she's made a mistake she's missed a bit there was a hole in the wall that wasn't quite filled in the inside skin was done, but the outside there was a hole, and it was about the size of the cottage that Chuck and his mother lived in. And he thought, oh, she's made a mistake. And she says to him, no, I haven't, Chuck, I haven't made a mistake. It's meant to be like that. Why? Well, my father will spot it, and he will say, why have you left that hole there? And you can tell him, I left it for you to fill it, you, um, to fill it yourself. And he'll, you know, you'll see what he says. <laughs> so that's what he did. He sat there and waited, and then the green man of knowledge came huffing and puffing up the hill after an hour, and the eyes nearly stands out of his head. Good God! How did you do that, Chuck? How did you do that? How did, how, did, how, how, how did you make a castle out of nothing? In an hour. I, I mean, look at it. It's huge. Ah, it's not bad, he said. It, it's maybe not my best effort, but, you know, it, it'll, it'll do you, I figured. Uh, but how did you... Uh, uh, who helped you? You've had help, haven't you, Chuck? No, not a bit of it. Somebody's helping you, Chuck. No, 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 not at all. So he's walking around the outside of it looking and he sees this hole in the wall and he goes, Why did you leave a hole in the wall, Chuck? What did you do that for? I left that for you to fill in yourself, he said. Well, the green man of knowledge looked at him and he goes, Somebody's helping you, Chuck, aren't they? No, 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 he said. Nobody's helping me at all. So he said, Well... You've done what I asked, and so I will give you a huge sum in gold and one of my daughter's hand in marriage, whichever one you want. Come on, down to the castle, we'll have a feast. Ah, is that one of those feasts with the dry bread with the mould on it and the water? No, no, Chuck. You've done your three tasks. You've beaten me, Chuck. Come on. We'll give you a proper meal this time. So they went into the castle, and the green man of knowledge was there, all dressed in his green outfit as ever. And his three daughters came gliding in through the door as graceful as swans. And they sat down at the table, and then there was a huge meal was brought in, a great banquet. And they sat there, and they ate, and they drank, and they told stories, and they laughed, and they had a fine old time of it. And then the three daughters rose from the table, and they glided out of the room again, and they left the two of them at it. And the green man of knowledge says, Well, Chuck, I've got for you here four bags of gold. God, there's so much gold here you could hardly count it. You're a very, very wealthy man now, Jack. Here's your gold. And 
I will let you choose one of my horses. I have a fine stable of horses. I keep only mares, he said. You may choose one, and that will be the one that you have. Well, Chuck thanks him. And he gets up and he says, follow me, Chuck, I'll take you to the stable. So he follows the green man and knowledge outside, and the green man is leading the way. And in his ear he can hear the voice of his beloved. And she says, take the mule, take the old grey mule, take the old grey mule. Well, he gets to the stable, and there are two beautiful mares, two lovely horses, the likes of which Chuck has never seen before in his life. They really are something special. The one of them is grey, and the other one is sleek and black. And there behind the door is an old grey mule. So he looks at it, and Chuck, the green man of knowledge, says to Chuck, Well, Chuck, which one would you like? You choose, and it's yours. Well, God thought Chuck to himself, those mares are beautiful. They're lovely. That wee mule, though, the wee grey mule, God, it's so scrawny and scruffy looking. It would be a sin to put the gold on the back of it, because it'll probably break its back. But then he remembered, you know, always take advice, the old woman had said. And, you know, he thinks, that lassie, she's never let me down yet. So, I will follow her advice. Ah, the mule will do me fine, he said. The mule, said the green man of knowledge. You don't want one of these fine mares. No, 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 Chuck. No, you can't have the mule. I wouldn't send you out of here on a mule. God, it would be doing you a great disservice. I mean... You know, you can't go riding like that. No gentleman can be seen riding on a mule. Ah, well, I'm no gentleman, said Chuck. I'm just fool Chuck. And if anybody sees me riding on a mule, well, they'll just say, there goes Chuck the fool, you know. No, 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 the mule will just be doing me fine. No, Chuck, it would be a shame on me to let you ride away on a thing like that. No, have one of these beautiful mares. No, no, you know, the the mule will be fine. No, Chuck, I can't let you have the mule. I would like the mule. No, Chuck. No, Chuck, I can't let you take the mule, he said. Well, Chuck starts chatting to him, you know. And he's just telling stories about this, that, and the next, and... And, you know, he's a good storyteller, is Chuck. And so, the green man of knowledge is listening to his stories, and he's newsing away and cracking away, and they're just having a great old laugh. And, ugh, he's good company, is Chuck. And the green man of knowledge is soon distracted from whatever he's doing, you know, and he's laughing away at all these silly stories. And he's hearing about him, you know, playing cards with his dog in the time that the dog had that Ace of spades tucked up in the fur of his leg and stuff like that. And, oh, they're laughing away. And all the time, Chuck is putting the bags of gold over the back of the mule. And when it's all loaded up, 
he said, well, must be off, and he slung his leg over the mule because it wasn't very tall, and he set off riding on the back of the mule. Well, the green man of knowledge roared out in anger, and he unloosened his mares, and he leapt on the back of the grey one, and he set off after Chuck with a black mare running with him as well. Well, the wee mule was running and running faster and faster and faster and faster. And Chuck was really impressed. He was going, my God, for just a wee bit of a mule, and you can run fast, can't you? Don't be so stupid, Chuck, said the mule. Good God, don't you know it's me? It's you, lassie, he said. Yes, it's me, your true love. It's me, I'm taking you away, I'm saving you, I'm running for my life and yours. But why? I mean, you're running too fast. You'll, you'll do yourself an injury. Slow down, take it easy. I can't slow down, they'll catch up with us. I must run and run and run as fast as I can. No, no, don't doubt, you're, you're just, you're gonna do yourself an injury, my love. No, slow down, look, it's fine, look, there's nothing but, oh my God, they're right behind us. Quick, run as fast as you can. Sure enough, the green man of knowledge was coming up behind her, riding on that grey mare with a black mare running alongside them. I'll never be able to outrun them, she says. They're too fast for me, Chuck. Chuck, you've got to do something for me now. What? Look inside my left ear, said the mule, who was the girl. Look inside my left ear and you'll find a drop of water. Throw it behind you and say rivers, lakes and seas behind me and a clear road in front of me. Do it, Chuck. Chuck put his hand in the left ear and he found a drop of water and he threw it behind him and he said, Rivers, lakes and seas behind me and a clear road in front of me. And when he looked around, he couldn't see a thing for seas, for the waters was way off to the distance. Ah, he says, and right in front of him, the road was as clear as it could be. Ah, you can slow down now, darling, he says. No, I'm sure they've been drowned in the waters there. There's no sign of them. You don't know my people, said the youngest daughter. You don't know my people. They will be after us soon. And she kept on running and running and running as fast as she could. And after a wee while, Chuck looks behind him. And here's the green man of knowledge riding on the grey mare and the black mare running beside him. Quick, Chuck, she says. They're catching up on me. That's my father there and the mares, they're my sisters. They're your sisters. God, didn't you figure that one out yourself, Chuck, she said. Well, <clears throat> I hadn't really thought about it, to be quite honest. Those are my sisters. And my father coming after me, those are my people. Oh, you don't know my people. My father's evil. He is evil and he will kill us both horribly if he ever catches up with us. Quick, put your hand inside my left ear and you'll find a wee stone, a wee pebble. Throw it behind you and say mountains, hills and dales behind me and a clear road in front of me. 
So he put his hand in the ear and he found a wee pebble and he threw it behind him and he said, mountains, hills and dales behind me and a clear road in front of me and in the next moment there was huge mountains behind him. He couldn't see a thing for the mountains. And they ran on and on. Oh, lassie, he said, you can slow your running do now. There is no way that they are going to get over those. And to go around them would take forever. You don't know my people, she said. You don't know my people. They will be here again soon. And then, oh, I don't even want to think about what I have to do next. So they rode on and on, the wee mule running faster and faster and faster, as fast as it could go. And then, Chuck looked behind him, and there is the green man of knowledge, on the grey mare, with the black mare alongside them. And they're running, and they're getting faster and faster and faster, and they're catching up and catching up with them. And she said, oh God, forgive me for what I'm about to do, she said. I don't want to do it, but I can't do anything else. Jack, I love you. I love you, but I love my father and my sisters too, but God knows I love you more than I love them. I love you more than my own people. Put your hand in my left ear again, Jack, and you'll find a spark. Throw it behind you and say, Fires as hot as the pits of hell behind me, and a clear road in front of me. And God help me. He put his hand in the ear, and he found the spark, and he threw the spark behind him, and he said, Fires as hot as the pits of hell behind me, and a clear road in front of me. And he looked around just in time to see the green man of knowledge and his two daughters withering in the flames as they died. Well, then, Mule turned back into the youngest daughter again, and she was weeping, weeping uncontrollably, and he held her in his arms, and he said, I am so sorry, my darling, I am so, so sorry. Oh, but Chuck, she said, I have done a terrible thing, and I have been cast under an enchantment because that I have done this. You and me have both been placed under a spell, and this spell will last for a whole year. I have to go away now and leave you for a whole year. And I won't be back again until after that year is up. But you are also under a spell, Jack. We are both under a spell now. More a curse than a spell. But we are enchanted. And you, my love, must wait for me for a year. Oh, that's no problem, he said. Of course I'll wait for you, my love. Aye, but that's not all of it, she said. You see, if anyone, anyone kisses you in the next year, then you will forget everything about me. 
You'll forget all about the green man and knowledge. You'll forget all about this journey. You'll forget about the three tasks. You'll forget about the bridge. And worst of all, my love, you will forget about me. Never let anyone kiss you for a year. Not your mother, not anyone. Oh, I promise, he says, that's no problem. I, um, that's easy to do. I have to leave you now, she said. Goodbye. And she turned around and walked away. Well, Chuck picked up his four bagfuls of gold and he set off walking. And he soon realized that he was no distance at all from his home, from where his mother lived. There it was, right in front of him, a wee thatched cottage. Well, he went down, and he went inside, and his mother went, Oh, Jack, Jack, my wee laddie, you're home, you're home. Oh, come here. And she threw her arms around him, and she was going to kiss him, but he put his hand up over his mouth, and he went, No kissing. I want no kissing or slavering or any of that nonsense. No, none of you, mother. Hmm, oh, okay then, she said, and she gives him a hug. Where have you been, Chuck? Well, I went away to make my fortune, he said, and my fortune was made. And he puts the gold down on the table. He says, I've got all of this gold now. We are rich, and we are made for life. Well, the mother was so delighted. Oh, there's somebody in here that'll be pleased to see you too, she said. He went in the room, and there was his old collie dog. And the collie was just sitting there, playing patience with its cards. And when it saw him coming, oh, the tail started to wag like mad. He bounded across the room. He leapt up on Jack and gave him a great big lick on the face. Well, as soon as he did that, Jack's mind emptied. He forgot everything about the girl, the green man of knowledge, the tasks, the journeys, everything was gone. He couldn't remember a thing of where he'd been or what he'd done. But he had money now, and he had a fine big house built. A lovely big house that him and his mother lived in. And his mother now, she didn't have to keep pigs anymore. She was a rich woman, and she could lead a life of luxury. Chuck went into business, and became a very, very successful businessman. And there was people coming and going from Chuck's, who's doing all sorts of business. And he was always working on his books. And, oh, they were going from strength to strength. It was like their fortune was made, but also their luck had changed as well, because now they were rich and they were happy and everything was just going grand. Now one day when Chuck was down at the mill, seeing the miller about a bit of business, he caught a glimpse of the miller's daughter, and the miller's daughter was a good-looking girl. Well, thought Chuck, here's a nice-looking lass. And he started walking out with her. And in the end they became engaged, and the date was set for them to get married. Well, invitations went out for the wedding, and people started to arrive, 
And, of course, Chuck, well, he put them up in great style. The marriage itself was to be in his mansion house, in front of all his invited guests, who were all the rich people from the town. You see, he wasn't a Chuck the Fool anymore. He wasn't a fool Chuck. He was Sir Chuck the Gentleman. Aye. It's funny whose folk's opinion of you change if you get a bit of cash. Yeah, and it's funny how even fools can become gentlemen with the right money. They can even become politicians. Well, Jack was doing all right, and all the folk were turning up, and, of course, the miller's daughter was getting ready for our wedding, and the preacher had been sent for to come and marry them. Well, the preacher had a long, long way to go, and he was riding on a horse. And, <clears throat> well, along the way, that horse cast a shoe, and that delayed him for a while. He couldn't ride on a horse with three shoes. He had to go and find a blacksmith to, to put a new shoe on the horse's hoof. So he was late. Now, Chuck... He's welcomed all his guests and everything, and he's still going and he's still doing paperwork because he's a man of business now. That's what men of business do, apparently. So he's working away at his books, and he's going to be married later on that day, and all the guests are there, and they're all waiting, and the preacher hasn't turned up yet, so he's still working away. When a lass comes to the door, God, she's bonny. She's a bonny, bonny lass. But man, she's poor. She's tattered and ragged, just like a beggar. She's got a white skirt on, and it's all patched and torn, and the hem of it is all ragged. And her blouse as well is all ragged and tattered and patched here and there. But she's still bonny. And she says to Chuck, uh, Sir, do you have any work that I could do? Well, I don't know. What kind of work do you do? Oh, I can cook, she says. I can cook, and I can bake, and I can brew, and I can clean, and I can do anything that you want, sir. Well, you know, I'm getting married today, says Chuck. So, it might be an idea if, if I took you on for the day of the wedding, and for maybe a few days afterwards as well, because, of course, the... The feasting will go on for several days, and then there will be the cleaning up afterwards. Oh, your majesty, she says, oh, <laughs> I'm not a king, he said. No, no, I'm just, I'm Sir Chuck. Well, Sir Chuck, she says, I'd be very honoured to work at your wedding. So off she went to the kitchen, and she was washing dishes and scrubbing pots, and they're waiting for the preacher to arrive, and the preacher doesn't come. And the people are starting to get fed up, you know. They've been sitting down waiting for this wedding for ages now. Not a thing. No sign of them at all. And, God, they're getting fed up. And their bums are getting numb. There's nothing worse than a numb bum. And so, they're getting up. And they're walking around to stretch their legs. And they're chatting away to each other. Newsing away and having a good crack. And this raggedy lass comes up from the kitchen. And she looks in, and there's Chuck working at his books. And she says, 
Excuse me, I hope you don't think that this is very forward of me, but I, I can entertain the guests while, uh, while you're waiting for the preacher. Oh, well, what can you do? Well, I've got these puppets here, she says. I make puppets, you see. And I've got two wooden puppets here, but ha, they're very, very special puppets because they can talk. They can talk. Oh, aye, she says. Yep, I have a cock and a hen here, and I can get them up, and I can scatter some corn to them, and they will peck it up. Will they? Yeah. Well, go and get them, then. That'll be great, says Chuck. Well, that'll entertain the folks. So Chuck goes back to his books, and he's scribbling away again, and the guests are all milling around, and the lassie comes in, and there's a kind of a, a cry from the the crowd of laughter, you know. They're all they're, they're having a good time. They're enjoying themselves. And so Chuck, well, he hears this and he thinks, oh, what's going on here? So he goes to the door and he looks out, and here is the two wooden puppets, a cockerel and a hen, and they're standing on the floor there. And this bonny lassie, she's scattering corn down, and they're going peck 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 peck, and they're pecking up the corn. And they're made of wood. It's amazing. Well, what's even more amazing, there's not a string in sight. It's incredible. Well, they're pecking away. And the hen is looking at the cock, and the cock just carries on pecking. And then the hen pecks a wee bit more, and then looks at the cock again. And she says, Jack, don't you know me? Don't you recognize me? And the cock looks at the hen and says, No, no, I can't say that I do. Uh, no, I don't know you. And he goes back, peck, 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 peck again. And then the hen says, Jack, don't you remember the green man of knowledge? And the cock stops pecking, and he looks at the hen and he said, No, no, I can't say I've ever heard of the green man of knowledge. And then he goes peck, peck, peck again. And the hen says, Chuck, don't you remember your true love? And he, the cock stops pecking and looks at her, looks at the hen again and says, No, I'm sorry. I don't know my true love. And he goes peck, peck, peck again. And the hen says, don't you remember, Jack, how I killed my people for love of you? And the cock stops pecking and he looks at the hen and he said, Yes, I remember you. And when that happened, Jack remembered everything. The spell had been broken. The year, you see, had passed that very day. And he remembered everything. He recognized the beggar girl over in the corner as being the youngest daughter of the green man of knowledge. His true love. The girl who had saved his life so many times. And who he loved more than the world. How could he have forgotten her? And he remembered the three tasks that he had performed that she had done for him. 
and he remembered that last journey with all the obstacles that had been thrown behind them, and how she had sacrificed her own father and sisters out of love for him. And he ran over to her, and he took her in his arms, and he kissed her, and he said, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry I forgot you. You are my true love, and you are the only one that I shall marry. Well, all the wedding guests were rather shocked by all of this, and none more so than the miller and his daughter. But once a good-sized bag of gold had been given to the miller and his daughter by way of an apology, then he was forgiven. And he arranged for the wedding for him and for his beautiful girl, the daughter of the green man of knowledge. And as soon as the preacher arrived, he gave him the task of marrying the two of them in front of Jack's friends. And the two of them were married, and for the rest of their days they lived there in that lovely house, and no two couple could have loved themselves more than those two did, and certainly no one in the world could have been happier than Jack and the daughter of the green man of knowledge.'